Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Great joy to be able to introduce our speaker for today, Dr. Danny Aiken. Dr. Aiken serves as president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, uh, my alma mater. Um, and usually when I introduce a, a guest speaker, I'll say something about their family. I'm not going to do that. He's got a wonderful family, but he's going to tell you all about his family because today's message is, is on the family. And it was actually uh, about 20 years ago or so, when I, the first time I ever heard Dr. Aiken speak, he was speaking on the family at the Southern Baptist Convention. And, you know, I've been to many, many conventions and pastors' conferences. A lot of those messages kind of become a, a, a blur after a while. You hear so many of them. But there are a few that just really have been outstanding through the years. And that was one of them. In fact, uh, that was back in the days of cassette tapes. You remember those? And I can remember listening to uh, that message on the family over and over and over again um, in my car because I was so blessed. Melissa and I at that point, I don't know if we had any kids, uh, we didn't have any kids really at that point, but um, I just wanted to, to, to take in all that I could about uh, being the best husband I could be and the best father uh, that I could be. And Dr. Aiken does a wonderful job, as you'll see, of communicating uh, those things. And so let's welcome Dr. Danny Aiken today. Well, good morning, and uh, your pastor's right. I do love uh, to talk about marriage and family. been married for 35 years and uh, have four sons. Uh, all are grown now, and by God's amazing grace and goodness, they're all in ministry. And uh, we also have three daughter-in-laws and nine grandchildren and a tenth on the way. And uh, so I've joined the, uh, the, the family of grandparents, and it's a wonderful family to be a part of. And uh, also thank you for loving our school, supporting us, uh, uh, Thurman, David, uh, I've known for a long time. There are others that are here that have come through Southeastern. There are those that are here now that are at Southeastern. So we love the partnership that we share uh, with this wonderful, faithful church. Take your Bible and join me in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, and we're going to give our attention to verses 1 through 4, and we're going to think on the subject this morning of how to love your children and to let them know it. How to love your children and let them know it from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Lucille Ball died in April of 1989, and yet even to this day, people remember her name uh, because during her lifetime, she really was the queen of comedy. Shortly before Lucy died, she was interviewed on television by a man named Merv Griffin. And in that interview, Merv Griffin asked Lucy a, a series of very interesting, and I, I would also say to you, very important questions. Lucille, you've lived a long time on this earth, and you're a wise person. What's happened to our country? What's wrong with our children? Why are our families falling apart? What's missing? And to those series of questions, Lucille Ball simply said this, Papa's missing. Things are falling apart because Papa's gone. If Papa were here, uh, he would fix it. 
uh, Lucy was right. In 1960, only 18% of children in America lived in a home separated from their biological father. But today, 40%. 40% of all the children in America live in a home where their father is not present. Yes, in too many homes today, Papa is missing. And yet there's another tragedy that comes alongside of this one, and sometimes this tragedy even afflicts Christian homes, because sometimes in, in the home, though Dad is there physically, he's not there. Uh, he's tuned out, and he's checked out, and he's not really aware, he's not really in touch with what's going on in the lives of his children. In fact, I think the heartache experienced by way too many uh, children and even teenagers uh, was said pretty well a couple of years ago in a letter that was written to Seventeen magazine. Listen to what this teenage girl wrote about her relationship with her daddy. Have you ever heard of a father who won't talk to his daughter? My father doesn't seem to know I'm alive. In my whole life, he has never said he loves me or given me a good night kiss unless I asked him to. I think the reason he ignores me is because I'm so boring. I look at my friends and think, if I were funny like Jill or a super brain like Sandy, or even outrageous and punk like Tasha, he would put down his paper and be fascinated. I played the recorder, and for the past three years, I've been a soloist in the fall concert at school. Mom comes to the concerts, but Dad never does. This year, I'm a senior, and so it's his last chance. I'd give anything to look out into the audience and see him there, but who am I kidding? It will never happen. Now, moms and dads, I want to say something to you this morning, and I don't want to overstate the case at all, but I believe this with all of my heart. I believe that knowing that your mom and dad care and knowing that your mom and dad will be there when you need them can sometimes even be the difference between life and death for a child. Focus on the Family carried a story in their monthly magazine uh, a few years ago, it had run earlier in Reader's Digest. It's a true story. And one of the most remarkable testimonies I've ever heard in my life as to the difference that the love of a daddy made in the life of one of his children. So listen to this story very quickly before we go to God's Word. One day a father took his two elementary school-aged children for a ride in a pontoon boat. They were traveling down the river when suddenly the motor stopped. When the father looked behind him, he noticed something familiar about the red sweater tangled up in the propeller. His young son began to yell, Sherry fell in. In horror, the father saw his little girl entwined in the propeller of the boat. She was submerged just beneath the surface of the water, looking straight into the eyes of her daddy and holding her breath. He jumped into the water and tried to pull the motor up, but the heavy engine would not budge and Time was now running out desperately. The father filled his own lungs with air and dipped below the surface, blowing air into his daughter's lungs. After giving her air three times, the father took a knife from his shocked son's hand. He quickly cut the red sweater from the propeller and lifted his daughter back into the boat. Although she had survived, her deep cuts and, and bruises needed medical attention, so they rushed her to the hospital. But when the crisis was over, the doctors and nurses came into her room and they asked the little girl this question, how come you didn't panic? Well, she said, we've grown up on the river. And my dad always taught us that if you panic, 
you could die. And besides, I knew my daddy would come and get me. Now, parents, do your kids know that? Grandparents? Do they know that if they did something that broke your heart and disappointed you beyond measure, if, they, if their back was against the wall, do they know if I called my dad, my mom, they would be there, they would come and get me. You see, I have a basic thesis this morning that undergirds what I'm about to say, and that thesis is simply this. Almost all parents do love their children, but that is not the issue. The issue is by the things you say and the things you do, do your children feel loved? And so what is it that God's Word tells us today that we can do that will indeed let our kids know and feel and believe that we love them? First of all, note with me in verses 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians 6 that the Bible says we love our children by educating them. We love our children by educating them. And Paul begins in verse 1 by telling us it is the proper thing to do. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That word obey is an imperative, a word of command. God does not ask or suggest to children. He commands children, you obey mom and dad. It's in the present tense, which means this is to be the, the pattern or the habit of their life. In other words, kids are to consistently, they're to be in the habit of obeying mom and dad. Moms, dads, from the time our kids are small, we should be imparting to them the expectation of their obedience. Will they disobey? Of course they will. Uh, they're little sinners, like you and I are big sinners, okay? So they're not going to be perfect, but we should impart to them, I expect you to obey. And we teach them that they're to obey mom and dad in the Lord, for this is Right. Note that phrase, in the Lord. In the context, I think it means unto the Lord. In other words, help your children understand that when they are obeying mom and dad, they're actually obeying the Lord. I mentioned a moment ago that God blessed Charlotte, my wife, and me with four sons. And all their lives as they were growing up, I tried to help them understand, guys, ultimately... Your obedience or your disobedience is not against me or your mother. It's before the Lord. And when you are obeying us, you are obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in the Lord. And Paul says, this is right. This is the way God planned it. This is the way God established and ordained the home. But now, parents, hear me. It's not enough just to tell your kids what to do. I am convinced that good parents help their children understand why. Why should I pursue this kind of life? Why should I live in this kind of a way? And so Paul, being the theologian that he was, goes back to the Ten Commandments, found in Exodus chapter 20 and actually again in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and Paul says there's a promise. There is a promise that God makes to children who both obey and honor mom and dad. Look at it there with me in verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. By the way, that word honor, an imperative, word of command, present tense, continuous action. So as they continually obey, they're to continually honor mom and dad. There's a promise with it. Well, what's the promise? Verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. 
that it may go well with you. God says, as a general covenant of life, you honor and obey mom and dad, I'll give you a better life. Furthermore, he says that you may live long in the land. You honor and obey mom and dad, I will provide for you a longer life. So a better life and a longer life is promised to those children who honor and obey mom and dad. Now, it may be that some of you are here this morning and you say, well, Danny, wait a minute, hold on. That may be fine if you were born into and you grew up in a good home. But if you knew the messed up family life that I grew up in, uh, if you knew the hell on earth I live in right now, you would have to acknowledge these verses are, are, are not for me. These are verses for kids in a good home. These are not for kids in a dysfunctional, messed up home. And in fact, um, you might even think that I don't understand what some of you have gone through or maybe are going through right now because uh, I grew up in a good home. Well, I did grow up in a good home, but I do understand. You say, how so? Well, God gave me a wife who had exactly the opposite experience of me. You see, my wife Charlotte was born into the home of alcoholic parents, both of them. And when she was seven years old, they got a divorce. And after bouncing around from one home to another and another at the age of nine, Charlotte and her sister and her brother were all three placed in the Georgia Baptist Children's Home in Palmetto, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta, where she would live from the time she was nine until she was 18. During those years, she seldom saw her mother. In fact, she would not see her mother from the time she was nine until she was 17. In fact, the last time she saw her mother as a nine-year-old little girl, she was sitting out on a porch, sitting on a bench. Her mother walked out, looked at her, slapped her in the face, knocked her off the bench, out into the front yard, said, all of this is your blankety-blank-blank fault, turned around, walked back into the house. She would not see her mother again for eight years. Her daddy came to see her a couple of times in the first few months that she was in the children's home, and then she would not see her dad again until after we were married. In fact, we'd been married for 25 years when she told me this. I'd never known it before. I don't even remember what the context was, so I remember where we were. We were driving from Louisville down toward Nashville, and we were talking about our family, and I said, well, you know, honey, did you ever ask your dad to come see you? And she looked at me and she said, well, yeah, I, I did. I, I would call him when we would have Parents Weekend. And I would say, Daddy, this is Parents Weekend. Will you come and see me? And she said, my daddy always said the same thing every time. Yeah, babe, I'll come and see you. So my wife would get up on Saturday morning and she would get dressed. She would go outside and sit on the front porch of her cottage and she would wait. Two, three, sometimes she sat there for four hours and longer waiting for a dad who never showed up even one time. When we got married, we were in my mom and dad's home. She calls her daddy on the phone. I'm standing right beside her. Daddy, I'm getting married. I want you to give me away. Now, I need to tell you up front, I, di I didn't understand. I, I, as far as I was concerned, because I have a hard heart sometimes, I didn't give a rip whether he came or not. I, I didn't care. I, I was angry at him. I thought he was a jerk. I couldn't imagine a dad that would do that to his daughter. And so, but she, she loved him. 
She loved him. And so she calls and says, Daddy, I'm getting married. And I want you to give me away. Gets quiet on her end. Tears start running down her face. And I'll always remember what she said. She said, well, Daddy, I, uh, I know you're shy. So if you don't want to give me away, that's okay. I just want you to come to my wedding. And even though he only lived about 15 miles away, he didn't come. I remember the first time I met her father. We were in Atlanta for Christmas. Charlotte had reestablished a relationship with her mom, and her dad came over for Christmas dinner. And it didn't go well. It didn't go well. I mean, it wasn't like things blew up, but he came over to me while we were there that night. He came over, and you need to understand something, folks. They're different. You know this. They're different kind of drunks. Uh, he, he was kind of a, a sad, kind of whiny person when he would be inebriated or even it really affected his whole personality. So he comes over. He puts his hand on my forearm and he says, I, 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 want, I want to say something to you. I want, I want you to know that I'm sorry. And I did not act as I should have. But I yanked my arm back. I said, don't put your hands on me and you don't need to be talking to me. You need to talk to that lady right over there. And he turned and walked the other way. I mean, it fired me up. Later, at his request, we took him back to the Veterans Hospital in Atlanta, Georgia, where, again, he was going through a detoxification treatment for his alcoholism. He got out of our van and was walking up the sidewalk, and again, insensitive, carnal, angry, wrong in every way. I I confess my sin to you. I looked at my wife and I said, your dad is just pretty sorry. He ain't worth much. And she turned and looked at me, and with no anger in her voice, but with tears again running down her face, she said, and again, I'll always remember it, she said, well, yeah, I, I guess he is. But he is still my daddy. And I will always love him. Unless something happened on his deathbed that we don't know, her daddy died lost. Her daddy is in a place called hell today. Her daddy died, never telling his daughter he loved her. And yet in all the years I've known her, and we've been married for 35, I've known her for about 39, I've never heard my wife even one time say anything ugly or unkind about her daddy. She's always loved him and tried to honor him to the best of her ability. You say, what about her mother? Well, there's a little bit happier story there. We had been in uh, Wake Forest for about three, maybe four years. I'm bad on dates like most men. And, uh, but it was about 2007, 2008. And uh, Charlotte uh, received a phone call from her sister informing us <clears throat> that her mother had been in the hospital at Grady Memorial Hospital in downtown Atlanta for three weeks. And they finally got around to calling us to let us know that she was probably going to die And they simply wanted Charlotte to agree with the other siblings to sign a non-resuscitation order. Well, Charlotte said, I'm not going to do that over the phone, and I I, I can't do that right now. She hung up the phone. She looked at me, and again, here come the tears. And she said, you know, I can hardly bear the thought of my mother dying and going to hell too. And so we prayed. We got on our knees right there in our living room, and we prayed. We got up, and she looked at me, and she said, Honey, 
Do you think Dr. Merritt, James Merritt, he's a pastor in Atlanta, big church, uh, former president of the SBC, but a, but a dear friend to me. She said, do you think Dr. Merritt would be willing to go down to Grady Hospital and witness to my mama? And I said, I think he would. So I called him. And James said, this was on a Tuesday, he said, well, you know, I leave town in the morning. But I'll be back Thursday, and when I get back Thursday, Friday morning, I'll drive down to Grady Hospital, and I'll share with Mrs. Ramsey. And I said, well, James, I appreciate you doing that. You know, she, she's, she's really sick. And they, they don't really know how much longer she's going to live. And so we hung up the phone, and we thanked him. And a few minutes later, maybe 15, 20 minutes, no more than 30, he calls me back. And he said, you know, I don't think I need to wait till Friday. I'm going to go down there and see her this evening. And so my dear friend got in his car and drove 45 miles from up in Decula, Georgia, into downtown Atlanta, went up into the ICU unit of Grady Memorial Hospital, shared the gospel with Charlotte's mother, and on her deathbed, literally on her deathbed, she prayed to receive the Lord as her Savior, and she died a few days later. I believe that when I get to heaven, there's going to be a lady there named Dealey Ramsey. And that lady is going to be there because she had a daughter, my wife, who never stopped loving her mother, never stopped praying for her mother, never gave up on her mother. And I want you to know this morning, I am married to a great lady. I am married to a great lady. She is, she's one of my heroes. Most men don't say that, but my wife is one of my heroes. She's a godly, godly woman, been a wonderful wife. She raised four godly sons. Everybody that knows her loves her. And though she has some, some scars in her life from her past, she's a remarkably healthy, balanced lady. And she's a wonderful witness to all of you this morning that no matter where you've been or what you've been through, no matter how painful it may have been, the Bible says if you will obey and honor God's Word, He promises He will honor and He will bless you, and He keeps His Word. So the Bible says we love our children by educating them. And then secondly, the Bible says we love our children by encouraging them. Look at verse 4. Fathers. Guys, it's a reminder. We're called to that leadership assignment in the home. It's a reminder that one day all of us men in this room will stand before God and give an account for how well we, we led our, our marriage and how well we led our family. And so, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. There's a, a negative word and then a positive word. Fathers, don't provoke your children. Don't, don't agitate them. Don't provide, the word picture is, an unsettled situation so they just don't ever know what you're going to do. No, don't do that. But on the other hand, in a proactive way, bring them up. Nourish them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, parents sometimes hear that verse read and they will say, but wait, Danny, kids don't pay attention to mom and dad. All the experts tell us that they're far more influenced by peer pressure than they are by parental instruction. And I don't mean to be unkind to the experts, but they're just flat wrong. They, they do not know what they're talking about. I'm going to tell you something, and, and hear me well now, Mom and Dad, hear me well. Your kids do care what you think. And your kids do listen to what you say. 
And your kids pay a whole lot of attention to what you do. And here's the problem in many homes. What is said by mom and dad doesn't match up with what mom and dad do. And then the kids write us off because we're hypocrites. And so if what we say doesn't match up with how we live and act, no wonder they're confused and don't pay as much attention as they ought. But they do care. They do care. The largest survey of American teenagers in the history, literally, of the world took place here in the United States at the turn of the century, year 2000. A lot of interesting things were discovered, but this one stands out. And Newsweek magazine picked up on it as well, and they shared this uh, insight as well. In a recent national survey, teenagers named their parents as their number one heroes. You hear that? Teenagers named their parents as their number one heroes. So you line up a bunch of teenagers and you say, hey, guys, who's your hero? Movie star? Nope. Rock star? Nope. Athlete? Nope. Politician? Are you kidding me? Just playing now. Don't you get mad at me. I'm thankful for every good, godly politician. But no, not a politician, not an athlete, not a movie star, not a rock star. My hero my dad and my mom. They do care what we think. They do listen to what we say. Pay a lot of attention to what we do. So very quickly as I begin to wrap this up, what are some practical things you and I can do that will live out day in and day out a lifestyle that lets our kids know that we love them? I'll just share four or five very quickly. Uh, Number one, get down on their level and be an incarnational parent. Get down on their level and be an incarnational parent. I don't mean by that, get down on their level and be childish. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is this. You try to get into the world of that 5-year-old son or that 10-year-old daughter or that 15-year-old son or that 18-year-old young lady, and you ask the question, how do they look at life? Given their age, given their maturity, given their interests, how do they look at life? And you get down on their level into their world. That's why I call it incarnational parenting, because how do we know this morning that God loves us? Answer, because he got down on our level and he entered into our world in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I'll be the first to admit this morning that getting into their world is easier said than done. It is not an easy thing to do. I heard a story about a little boy whose turtle died, broke his heart, cried all day. Dad came home from work, and Mom said, Honey's in the backyard crying, his turtle died. And so Dad went back there, and sure enough, he's, he's crying away. And, and, and Dad says, Son, look, I, I, I'm sorry your turtle died, but I'll tell you what, um, we can have a turtle funeral, celebrate your turtle going to turtle heaven or wherever they go when they die. And i tell you what, I'll get a shoebox, and we'll put him in here. I'll dig a hole in the backyard, and we'll bury him right back here in our backyard. And since we're having a little funeral for your turtle, you can invite all your friends over, and we'll have a little service. I'll preach a little sermon for your turtle's funeral. And then after that, since we're celebrating your turtle going to turtle heaven, we can have a party. I'll get your mom to make a cake. I'll make some homemade ice cream, and we'll just have a party to celebrate your turtle going to turtle heaven. And then after that, we'll go over to the park, and we'll take our bat and our ball, and we'll play some ball, and we'll ride the rides. And son, what do you think if we do all that to, to celebrate your turtle's funeral? Well, he's still crying. But he said, we can have a party. Oh, we can have a party. And I can invite all my friends, every single one. And, and mom, will make a, mom will make a cake. I'll make ice cream. We'll go to the park. Son, we'll do all that to celebrate your turtle's funeral. What do you think? The tears stopped. 
smile came across his face. He looked at Daddy, and he said, Daddy, I'll be okay. And, boy, Dad felt great. He'd saved the day. Took his son by the hand. They began to walk back to the house. And can you believe it? At exactly that moment, suddenly, out of that turtle's shell, boom, comes that turtle's head. And he begins to look around and kind of check things out. And, and the dad saw it, and the dad said, Well, look, son, look, you turtle. He didn't die after all. Little boy, he began to scream and cry. Kill him, Daddy, kill him. I want to have my party. Now, that may not make sense to a 56-year-old, but that makes a lot of sense to a 5-year-old. So it's not easy. But you want to love your kids well, you'll get down on their level and you'll enter in to their world. You want to love your kids well, love your mate. Love your mate. I love to say great partners almost always make great parents. Why? Because the number one need in the life of a child related to love is security. Nothing brings security into the life of a child like knowing my dad loves my mom. My mom loves my dad. And they'll always be here just for me. If you will just love your mate, you'll give your kids about 99% of all that they need. You want to love your kids well? Spend time with them. Spend time with them. Love is a beautiful four-letter word. But sometimes we spell it best, T-I-M-E. We found out in survey work over the last several decades that on average a five-year-old gets about 25 to 35 minutes a week with dad, but they get 20 to 25 hours a week with a television set or some other kind of electronic babysitter. 25 to 35 minutes with dad, but 20 to 25 hours a week with a TV, an electronic babysitter. That may explain this. Reader's Digest took a survey of four- and five-year-olds, and they asked them this question. If you had to vote to give away either your daddy or your TV, which would you vote to give away? And 33% said they'd rather give away their daddy than they would their TV. One man, in thinking back on his childhood, simply said it this way to his parents, You didn't take care of me, you sent me to daycare. You didn't feed me, you sent me to McDonald's. You didn't study with me, you bought me a computer. You didn't talk to me, you bought me a stereo. You didn't look at me, you bought me a TV. And you did not play with me, you bought me toys. Now that I'm grown and you are old, why should I come and see you? I don't even know who you are. And one more time, Mom and Dad loves a beautiful four-letter word. Sometimes we spell it best, though, T-I-M-E. Two last ones. How do you love your kids well? By having fun with them. By having fun with them. You say, that's not very profound. It doesn't have to be profound to be true. In fact, I've been asked over and over through the years, just even last week, I was in Kansas City, and they were talking about marriage and family, and, and a friend of mine said, well, Danny, what is your parental philosophy? In other words, if you were going to share with us what you think in terms of parental worldview, parental philosophy, what would that look like? And I said, really, it's pretty simple. It's twofold. Number one, teach your children to love Jesus, and number two, have fun with them. And that's the whole thing right there. Teach your children to love Jesus, and number two, have fun with them. I hope your house is a fun house. 
I hope, for example, that when you get these large cockroach creatures in your house called teenagers, that when you come home, you won't be able to park in your driveway, you won't be able to watch your big screen TV, and all of your chips and cokes will have been consumed in mass quantity by these large cockroach creatures, which they will do, by the way, and have no guilt about it either, by the way. They have no conscience. But anyway, that's another thing for another day. Now, you say, my goodness, that happened to you? Oh, more times than I can count. Well, you sound like you're mad about it. I'm not mad about it. I'm honored by it. Because if your kids are willing to bring their friends over to your house, that means they're willing to say, I'm not afraid of what my dad might do. I'm not afraid of what my mom might say. Oh, yeah, they're parents, but they're still pretty cool. And if you'll just have fun with your kids, what I have learned from practical experience is when they get old, they'll come back and see you, and they'll bring the grandkids too. And that's a really pretty good deal. So you teach them to love Jesus. And you just have fun with them. And then finally, how do you love your kids? By introducing them to a perfect parent. Now you say, wait, 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 wait. I can't be a perfect parent. Well, I know that. I can't be one either. I don't have us in mind. But what I do have in mind is what the Bible calls a, a father, a perfect heavenly father who longs to have a relationship with every one of you that are here this morning, and He will do so if you come to Him by way of His Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, as Paul Harvey, who recently passed away, would say, I close with the rest of the story. You say, you're really married to a good gal. I'm married to a great gal. Well, what happened? What, what happened to a little girl whose life was shattered and whose heart was broken, who had every potential to just be a mess what happened to her? I'll tell you exactly what happened to her. On a Sunday morning, just like this, at the First Baptist Church in Fairburn, Georgia, when she was about 10 years old, my wife that morning did something that you can do today if you've never done it before. My wife gave her heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus gave His heart to my wife. And on that morning, God became my wife's perfect heavenly Father. And if I had brought my wife with me today, she's down in uh, West Palm Beach ministering to my daughter-in-law who cut her ankle very badly. Uh, my, my wife, if I were to bring her up here and just ask her to share her testimony, I could ask her these questions. I could say, Charlotte, let me ask you a question for these folks that are here today. When you got saved, what was the most wonderful thing about getting saved, knowing that all of your sins are forgiven? And my wife would say, you know, that's very wonderful, but it wasn't the most wonderful thing to me. Oh, okay, I know. It's knowing that when you die, you go to heaven. And again, she would say, you know, that's really wonderful, but when I got saved, that was not the most wonderful thing for me. So you might say, well, then help us out. Uh, what was the most wonderful thing for you when you got saved? And she would say, when I got saved, I got a new daddy. And my new daddy loves me. My new daddy believes in me. And she would say this, my new daddy made a promise to me that he's kept all of my life. And that promise that my new daddy made to me was simply this, I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. In other words, he'll always be there for you. And as a 54-year-old lady, she would say to you this morning, my perfect heavenly father has kept his word all these years. And the good news is what he did for her as a 10-year-old little girl 
He'll do for any one of you this morning, any one of you, if you'll just ask Him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. I thank You for the promises that we find there of a perfect Father who is willing to come into our lives, wash away our sins, make us brand new, and then promises to be with us, not just today and tomorrow, but forever and ever and ever. And Lord, I would ask now that as we come to this time of invitation, where boys and girls or teenagers, uh, young adults, old adults, can respond to the gospel message, I pray right now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would do His work, and that if there is indeed those here today who need a relationship with this perfect Heavenly Father, might it be today that they would make the most important of all decisions, repenting of their sin, turning to Christ and Christ alone in faith, trusting His perfect work of atonement on the cross as a sufficient payment for their sins, acknowledging that He is the risen, resurrected Lord, and then this day giving their lives to Him. Lord, You promise in Your Word, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, Lord, do Your work now in our hearts through Your Holy Spirit, and may we respond as You tell us and lead us and guide us, all for Your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Thurman's going to be here at the front. We're going to stand and sing. And if you need to respond this morning, you need to be saved, you step out and you come right now, and you can make that most wonderful of all decisions. You can come to Christ today. Let's stand to our feet. If you need to respond, you do it right now. Don't you hesitate. You step out and you come, and you come now. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. 
I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.